Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to the Helmet, looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons. We got a special guest, Drew O from Twitter. He is DF Bean Counter. He's got his own things working. Uh, I'm going to outline a few of them, but he started Bulletproof FF over there at Patreon. You also want to check him out with his podcast that is Bulletproof Fantasy Football, and he has a YouTube channel. Uh, there's some great featured videos over there. I really enjoyed the ones on T. Higgins, Mike Gesicki, got Baker Mayfield, and a few others so far, and he's from Saskatchewan, Canada. So we already were talking about curling, the CFL. Uh, we're going to talk some dynasty player value, uh, prospect evaluation, all those great things, as well as being a budding analyst and uh fellow data nerd like myself. Um, so I want to remind you, it's the official podcast of UTHDynasty.com. Become a general manager subscriber, also a Patreon channel. You're not going to hear advertisements on this show, but patreon.com slash UTH. You can get some free uh, free content over there as a subscriber, VIP chat, and a bunch of other key features uh, by supporting this show and not hearing about razors or life insurance um, or things like that every 4.6 minutes because uh, we want to have the conversation uh, be straight through here between uh, Drew and myself. Uh, anything else I, I can include there at the top of the show where folks can find you and uh, we're going to have a, a nice chat here about a number of different topics. No, that was everything. Thanks for thanks for having me, by the way. Yeah, and, and we already talked about a dynasty curling league. Uh, we already talked about the ways <laughs> that CFL uh, can become a little more mainstream uh, in their appeal. But uh, I actually wanted to kick it off with one of the, the videos that you have over on your YouTube channel, which just started. I would encourage people to go over there and check those out. Uh, is about Baker Mayfield. Um, and I am similar to you in one aspect and differing from you in another. So I wanted to give you an opportunity, kind of break down some of the key points you think between college and pro that I was all in on him. I, I watched him at the senior bowl when he was coming into the NFL, loved him at Oklahoma, but I do have where we sit today, entering 2021, plenty of questions uh, from the fantasy and what the ceiling really is with him. Give me a few bullet points here, and I don't want me to take away all of the content from the from the YouTube feature uh, film, if it, if it is a feature film, uh, from there. But give us some bullet points on on what you like about Baker Mayfield and and what questions you may or may not have. Sure. Uh, so with Baker Mayfield, the thing that, that like with basically any player, the thing that I like the best is, is the ones that like consistently perform well. I don't like flash in the pan type players. Like I'm never going to be an early adopter with some guy who has never done anything. And then suddenly appears Baker Mayfield has been excellent from this moment. He stepped on the field in college throughout his college career. He set records as a rookie. He had a terrible sophomore year in the NFL. <laughs> the entire coaching staff was clearly incompetent as what and his play was horrible and then last season his third season things came back to back to excellent baker like he was back on back on top he was graded extremely high for the last two-thirds of the season according to pff he performed well for fantasy other than the games where he was uh you know betrayed by the weather or by covid 
And uh, yeah, so basically I like Baker because he's just always been good. His, his track record is consistent excellence. Okay. Do you think there's a divide? Um, I have some skeptic, skeptical nature uh, if he will ever become, you know, a top six, top eight type guy. You know, that's obviously a big hurdle with the quarterback landscape the way it is. The fact that he isn't an overt runner. I, what I always say is you have to at least be now, you know, I think it's pretty clear that Baker Makerfield would have to get there, you know, to have that peak season, top two, top three year. He's probably not going to get there as a runner. That's not really his thing. He's mobile, but he's not going to be some 500, 809 touchdown type runner, you know, with his peak season. So he's going to have to get there, as I call it, being a diabolically elite passer. And, you know, the Drew, Drew Brees type, Tom Brady type, they don't offer a ton as a runner. So do you think he can get there? you know, to that level. And we're not talking, you know, can he creep in QB 10, QB 11? Can he get all the way home? Because we rewind and he's a good tale, you know, after that promising rookie season of being overvalued, especially in super flex startup drafts where like Kyler Murray, you know, right now it's the assumption is he's going to be absolutely great. He will be great. Lamar Jackson fell into that, right? He had the big year. All of a sudden, you know, he goes down a little bit, you know, that now you may not feel great about that selection a year later with 102, 103, just anything on Mahomes. Uh, what are your kind of thoughts on Mayfield's ultimate ceiling and is he properly valued right now? I think his ultimate ceiling, like, like you said, like you pretty much have to be economy code quarterback to hit that ultimate ceiling at this point, unless you're like Patrick Mahomes and are, you know, a world class passer, which I'm not sure Baker Mayfield is at this point. I don't know that he ever will be, to be perfectly honest. Uh, he does like one of the metrics on player profiler that I kind of like is called money throws. They basically count up all the throws that are like incredibly talented throws and his rate of money throws is number one in the league. Like nobody throws them more frequently than he does, including Patrick Mahomes. Like Baker Mayfield is number one over the last two years, not just this year, also in his train wreck year, he was one of the best at throwing them. So he has like that elite ability, but I just don't know that he's ever going to get to that quarterback one overall kind of production based on him just not being a great runner. Like look at Tom Brady this year. He had, I forget now, 4,500 yards and 30 touchdowns or somewhere around there. He was like quarterback 10. Like that's kind of, you know, like that's maybe like Baker might be a little bit beyond that in terms of a runner (laughs) might throw a few, or he might have a few more rushing yards, but uh, like, I don't think quarterback, one is in his range of outcomes. I think quarterback six is in his range of outcomes. Like if we can get a an absurd um, touchdown rate type season, like a uh, seven to nine percent touchdown rate. Like uh, Aaron Rodgers just had a nine percent touchdown rate. That's why he was so great this year for fantasy was because his touchdown rate was nine percent. Yeah, he had a lot of passing yards too, but the big driver was the touchdown rate. So if Baker can have one of those type of seasons, I think he can get into the top six. I don't know that he'll ever get to QB one though. Yeah, he does strike me as a, if he got there, it'd be sort of a one-off in terms of the perfect storm. It really doesn't seem like the DNA of, of Cleveland is going to allow him to get there. Like even if he has, and he had a really nice uptick uh, bounce back season this past year, but it really was based on it's a run game and he is going to be one that if he is efficient, what does that really mean? Uh, would be my biggest question. And one problem is typically quarterbacks, especially guys that go one overall in the NFL draft, 
if they hit top 12, it's in the first three seasons, you know, uh, most of the hits it's actually, I think, uh, yeah, you're down to 25% hit rate to get to the top 12. If you haven't done it by year three already, and that's going to be, we can explain it away. You actually had some really good information regarding the twists and turns of, he was very good. It was a bounce back year in 2020 and why, you know, if if maybe things had maintained and been a different script and storyline, he'd have been a lot closer to where we kind of want him to go trajectory wise. But the, the brass taxes, if you don't make it by now, you probably don't have a great historical shot to even get in the top 12. And we're both, I think, kind of saying the same thing, which is if he gets much higher than that, it's going to probably be a high touchdown rate. He's going to be a regression candidate the following year because it's not going to be a sustainable 300, 400, 500 rushing yards to go along with, with that, unfortunately. And they get two really good running backs. And with the, the setup of their offense, it's just not going to be one that until something changes, and guess what? He's almost about to get paid. So if he does get paid, doesn't that tear things around uh, around him away? Yeah, it absolutely would. It, it's interesting, like his splits. I mean, I don't really like splits that much, but like when you look at like the first seven games of the season with Odell Beckham Jr., he was pretty bad. And then Odell Beckham Jr. got hurt. And then Baker Mayfield took off. Maybe it's just coincidence. Maybe there's something to it. I don't really know. But, uh, you know, when you start stripping away pieces like I don't think having Baker Mayfield is a bad thing or having uh, Odell Beckham Jr. is a bad thing by any stretch but you start stripping away Odell Beckham Jr. now all you have is Jervis Landry and it's like well you know what's gonna happen when it's not Odell Beckham Jr. and not Jarvis Landry and who knows what they're gonna get at after that point. Is it unreasonable to think that the reasonable percent chance of being top six or top eight in a season is much better with complete unknowns on the NFL stage, like Justin Fields and Trey Lance because of their rushing. I, a- I, I have both guys rated higher than Baker in my rankings. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to go into the straight, where do you have them in your rankings uh, part, but, but yeah, I mean that, that they offer so much rushing wise. And I think uh, Zach Wilson's going to offer more rushing, pure rushing wise than, than Baker Mayfield. That doesn't mean any of them can spin it, you know, and like you mentioned, the money throws, but we're trying to separate, you know, you can be a good, and this is always the thing for me. You can separate a good NFL player versus a good or elite fantasy player. And those things are diametrically opposed sometimes, but the problem is you have to be at least a good enough NFL player, especially a quarterback to hold the job. And that's the one thing with some of these incoming players or some of these year two, year three players where, uh, like Kyler Murray for me, I mean, you haven't done a, a feature on him yet or, or anything. Maybe he's coming, but passing wise, man, he worries me a little bit. And I, and I came in liking Kyler Murray quite a bit, same as Baker Mayfield, but this is the reverse. He's coming off like 11 rushing touchdowns, monster usage as a runner for Kyler Murray, but he's largely been middle of the road at best as a passer with a lot of his ratios and things like that, which when you say, two, three, four years from now, is he going to be an unquestioned NFL starter and not looking over his shoulder of, I got to get better because he's also not built like Cam Newton and Cam Newton survived for quite a bit by being more runner than passer. Yeah. That's one of the things I actually like kind of really like about Baker Mayfield right now is about week five or week six, there was reports out of uh, like from Brown's media being like, Oh, they don't know if Baker's the answer. They don't know. Might not be Baker. I felt like he answered that question dramatically, like emphatically the rest of the way. Like he is a starting quarterback. Is he an elite fantasy option? Probably not, but he is definitely a starting quarterback. He's like a 
26 year old Kirk cousins all over again. Like he's, he's just going to be a locked in starter for a long time. And that's valuable in fan in uh, dynasty. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of wonder the QB 12, 14, 15, 16 kind of zone though, that if you're buying floor and I think we're both kind of saying the same thing, his floor and insulation factor is probably better than how much he actually affects your win percentage and your max year or his max three year zone or whatever it is. So that would be the thing. Do you want to spend QB, you know, top 15 type prices, startup value, you know, trade value, whatever on someone where they're, they're a floor play. I guess that would be the biggest action plan question you have to ask yourself or do you buy the floor or do you buy the ceiling i personally am more of a ceiling buyer i think there's specific you know two three four players that are kind of bridge guys as i call them those older veterans where you are buying the floor but you're getting a bigger discount than paying just within the position you know qb15 i'd rather buy kirk cousins for example who i think has a higher ceiling per se but you obviously don't have to pay qb15 let's say yeah i, I i'm not opposed to to, to buying Kirk Cousins by any stretch. Um, I, I don't have them all that far apart in my rankings, but uh, I mean, Kirk Cousins is, I believe, six years older than Baker. So if you're, if you're like a, a buy and hold kind of guy, like I think you can buy and hold Baker. And if he has one of those elite seasons, not elite, but like a, a crazy touchdown rate, elite like for him. Elite for him. Yeah. Elite for him. Like he gets into the top six. I think you're going to have a great selling opportunity. And I think he's probably going to have a season like that. Maybe not wow. a bunch of them, but okay. a season like that. Wow. So you think he's pretty likely to have top six, top eight at some point? Yeah. The I think storm will come together. To okay. Well, because I almost wonder, like you mentioned, the Odell Beckham effect, I think is pretty interesting where it just seems like, you know, it, when you take somebody out like that and yet the, the quarterback does better, is he really going to have better? overt weapons than what he had this year when you look across the board and especially in the next 12 to 18 months if he gets paid like i wonder is that going to i mean yes technically kareem kareem hunt could be gone you know nick chubb we don't know his status um you know so they might have room to wiggle around but if you say a couple of years from now landry might be gone this off season and then you have if beckham's gone by that point in time how are they reshuffling things um, and Austin Hooper didn't work out this year, but I did, I just kind of wonder, is he going to have, is he going to be one that can really elevate, truly elevate everyone around him enough if he has just okay weapons? Yeah. I don't know that he's going to be like, I don't, it's kind of like the, um, is Baker Mayfield like the driver of the offense or a passenger in the offense? I think he's somewhere in the middle. Like, I don't think he's a driver. He's definitely not like a, he's not an upper tier quarterback. But I don't think he's like a replacement level quarterback either. I think he's somewhere in the middle. And I mean, you can probably make the argument that pretty much any quarterback is going to struggle with worse players more often than not. And we don't really know what any situation looks like three years out. Like if you go back and just look at like dynasty ADP from three years ago, like you're just like, how did we get all this wrong? Yeah. Well, that's actually, I mean, that you said that. Um, I actually wanted to mention that uh, I, I'm not on Dynasty Reddit. Um, is that called a sub, what is it called? A sub topic? I believe, I believe that is a subreddit. Subreddit. Okay. So Reddit's actually the, the noun slash verb slash adjective <laughs> usage. Got it. Um, but I actually thought there was something I happened upon that was talking about grading rookie rankings. And you were either the test pilot of that, uh, you know, the test, uh, test, uh, test crash test dummy or something like that. And, and you actually got on there and gave a very thorough response. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't biting or anything, but you basically shared how 
that's a difficult thing to do. And I, that's why I always find that for redraft rankings and especially, but more so dynasty, are you grading? Cause I grade my own dynasty trades. I grade, you know, you look at trades that are out there and two weeks from then it might look like a win. And then six months later, it's a loss. And then it's a big <laughs> win again. Like depending on how many times you regrade it, it changes, but also your motivation. Am I making this trade for a playoff push? Am I making it for the next 12 months or am I making it for the next five years can change what your motivation was, but also how you grade it. So discuss a little bit about, I mean, we always try to self-reflect and reiterate, recalibrate, get better, you know, every single year about what our process is. But you were very uh, fervent, I'll say, about the fact that your rankings and who knows everyone, everyone's process and maybe what my goal is, is a little bit different because they, oh, I'm trying to get the best dynasty players. Well, that's ambiguous. What does that mean? <laughs> but, but you said specifically, it's not about predicting future ADP, which is part, if not most of the way they use that. And it was after one year, right? It was after one season or a 12 month rolling time period of that's how we're going to grade you is how you do in the first 12 months, I guess, of your rookie rankings. And you specifically said, well, that's not my process. So it almost was like, get off my lawn because you shouldn't grade me <laughs> on that way. Cause I'm not even, tr I'm not trying to win your game like that. Yeah, I know. I think like, I understand what the person was trying to do. Uh, and it makes sense like logically, but if I was ranking the players back in May with the anticipation of being graded on ADP today, I wouldn't have ranked them the same way. There's no way that I'm putting anyone over Jonathan Taylor because Jonathan Taylor is like the perception of Jonathan Taylor. I can't tell you how many conversations I had about how he is not generational. So if there's talk about him being generational, then I want to put him number one because all he has to do is show up and people are going to love him. Well, generational is also, let's not, let's not poke bears here. I mean, generational means how long is a generation? 20 years? I, I don't know. Because that means you're grading Jonathan Taylor versus Adrian Peterson. Cause that's a generation, right? We're still, yeah. I mean, if you, if you're 19 years old and had a kid, I mean, you're still talking, you know, <laughs> less than a generation there from 2007. Uh, you've got, you've got second Barkley on your wall. I mean, he's got a really good case for being a generational player, Christian McCaffrey. So there's, I mean, yeah. And, and you're talking to one of the bigger Jonathan Taylor fans, but, but yeah, I mean, like you said, you're now talking about perception you're talking about a marketplace that is inherently flawed, right? Yeah. So if I'm, if you ask me who is going to have the highest ADP a year from now, you can judge that. That's that's fair to judge in that manner. But I'm, I'm not making my rankings based on that. I'm making my rankings based on who I think is the best players. Right. And now, what, now, what do you, if you were grading yourself, let me ask you this. So if you were, what do you think is a better, well, much better methodology? If you were to create something back of the napkin right now on how would you grade your own, knowing what your own process is. And I think a lot of people who rank for dynasty, you know, overall rankings, especially rookie rankings, you know, they're looking at more than one season and what happens in the first six, 12 months of, of ownership after drafting them. But what do you think is maybe a better process or better time frame, et cetera? Uh, well, I, a better, a better, so, so I do rankings, right? Like everyone else does, but I do grades as well. So my grades are like, I have a bulletproof grade, a coin flip grade. I'm, I had a maybe grade that's changing to long shot because it confuses everyone. So now I have a long shot grade. You should say maybe kind of sort of, it's, um, <laughs> it's a little wordy and I know it won't fit in the box, but uh, it might not fit in the box. We'll see. But, uh, well, so what is, what does coin flip mean? Is it really 50, 50, 50, 50, wow. like historically 50, the guy 50. all in this bucket are 50, 50. 
wouldn't some late round one NFL draft picks at wide receiver be 50 50 if we're talking about odds? Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. Okay. Like, okay. So anyway, so, so you have, you have different buckets, but yeah. so you would be grading it based on, did you get the bucket, right? I would be grading it based on, did I get the bucket, right? And did I get the order, right? Like there's two ways to look at the way that I do my, my prospect analysis. Um, my, like, like in my bulletproof tier last year, which is my, my high tier, we had Justin Jefferson, T Higgins, CD lamb and KJ Hamler who I had ranked. I had KJ Hamler ranked way lower because I, I didn't think that the process had it right. Like it, it just didn't make sense. So then those guys, if you pick T Higgins and uh, Justin Jefferson and CD lamb, you're probably pretty happy. I think that I nailed those ones. And then from the running backs, I had Clyde Edwards Hilaire ranked fifth because he didn't grade out that well in my process. So I think that if you had, say, looked at my rankings and said, oh, he has Cam Akers at number one and Clyde Edwards Hilaire at number five, like, yeah, it's weird. And it probably is, it doesn't make sense to draft them in that order because that's not how they're valued. If you took Cam Akers at 101, you're just giving up free team value. I would never suggest you could have traded down. Right. I mean, so it's all about how does, what I always say is how do the, what do the rankings tell you to do? Because when you look at them, okay, I'm starting my draft. I got Drew's rankings right here. My rookie draft is here. I'm at 101. Well, it doesn't, what that should tell you is not take Cam Akers at 101 because he didn't even go 102 in basically any drafts. Right. So you sit there and you go, what Drew said to take him. He's just top guy. So I'm taking Cam Akers. No, what that actually says is trade down. All yeah. the, actually, what that what that what that action plan is is do anything but actually sit here and draft uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire would be the <laughs> takeaway, right? So if you had Edwards Hilaire at anything lower than running back two, the takeaway was well, just avoid that. Like that's an avoid player. The yeah. the actual takeaway action plan is do not take him. You know, and obviously if you have um, you know Acres higher than running back three or four, it means I like him and you should take him. So it's always what players are you gravitating towards in a way? And that really is going to define for the advice you're dispensing to others. And when they execute their drafts, it's, they're going to view you as a success or failure based on, you know, if they were like, well, I'm not going to draft Jerry Judy at one Oh seven. Cause he says to draft Justin Jefferson, you know, yeah. somewhere repl- you know, close to that or slightly behind him, And that's why you have to have a general sense of who goes where. Yeah, absolutely. So like, when you when I when people join my Patreon, they're hit with two articles. Like the welcome message has two articles. It's like, hey, you're new to the Discord. Here's how you find whatever you're looking for. And then there's another one that's like, hey, you've probably never seen rankings like this before. This is how you actually use them. Don't go and draft or like I, I have the prospect grades from like when they were a prospect next to their names. So Michael Thomas shows up as a uh, well, he's gonna be a long shot now. Because he wasn't a great prospect. That doesn't mean he that wasn't. Michael Thomas isn't exactly. one, like wide receiver one last year. He was still wide receiver one last year. It's just, you know, a lot of people get confused on that kind of thing. But uh, anyway, back to your original question on how should we grade these things? Well, you should look at, well, he said to avoid Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Was that smart? Yes or no? He said uh, T. Higgins was wide receiver two. He also said T. Higgins was only going to have 500 yards. Well, if you were drafting for future ADP, you sure as hell shouldn't be drafting T Higgins because people don't skyrocket with 500 yards. They skyrocket with a thousand yards. So like the context of the rankings makes a ton of like has a huge impact. And then you need to understand to, to like, 
to grade the rankings, I would say you need to understand what the assumptions going into the rankings are like, yeah, I love T Higgins, but again, I didn't think he was going to have the season he did. I thought he was going to have five, 600 yards. Like he'd be the wide receiver three, like sparingly used, but he'd flash here and there and he'd maintain his value. He wouldn't lose a bunch of value, but I didn't think he was going to gain a bunch of value either. But that doesn't mean that I didn't think he had the best long-term outlook. Yeah, it's really, I love what you said about sort of you you have to dispense information about how to use information. You know, so like I need to give a guide of how you can use my other guides, like my other informational information, you know, I'm giving you. And I do the same thing, you know, with my trade calculator, I have reams and reams of bullet points and different things about here's how you actually interpret it. Because because the worst thing, right, is, is that if you provide rankings or player value, something of that, you know, it, it's advice, but it's not like you're specifically writing two paragraphs. This is why you should trade a first round pick for player X. Like, so it's not very super specific of literally just go around your leagues and do this. Then there's misinterpretation, right? That like, oh, well, I read it as this, like you said to draft T Higgins at 104 last year, like you really liked him. He was your wide receiver too. You said to do that. And it's like, whoa, no, I didn't say that. Like I didn't, like, that's not how you interpret what I'm, you know, and that's the, the, <laughs> the thing about rankings, right? What I've always said is you rank it just straight up, you know, one through 50 at wide receiver or rookie overall, there's no nuance. Where's, you know, tears help. You know, but also where, you know, like I, one time, like I can't remember what year it was. I had such a divide at a certain point in the draft that I had, or in the, in the rankings where I had like tier one, tier two, and then it was tier four because literally <laughs> the gap I wanted, I was like, unless I put a big black line, what do I do to show that on one screen? Cause you know, they're going to look at it. And I got so many emails of like, you know, you forgot tier three, dude. <laughs> and then over, I, I think I have originally just had something I copy and pasted where it's like, yep, uh, the divide in value is that big. I probably should have wrote, you know, more in the player comments showing that saying there's a massive teardrop right here. You know, these are the big eight players or whatever it was, but it's amazing how many times you have to explain player value just because there's so much ways to interpret. And it sounds like you're already a step ahead because you already have a prepackaged uh, set of information <laughs> you provide. Be like, uh, you know, I, I'm doing my best. No one's perfect, but Please, like, like it's almost like playing that game of uh, playing that game of uh, you know, secret. It's not password, but uh, you know, where you whisper in a telephone, you whisper in yeah, the yeah. ear of the person next to you, and by the time it goes all the way around, it like contains none of the words <laughs> or themes <laughs> of the original message. It sounds like dynasty player value, unless you hit them over the head with "do this, do exactly this." It's easy to uh, it's easy to lose that message. Yeah, absolutely. Like the rank, my rankings right now have like they're tiered they're they're ranked they're tiered there's comments there's buy help buy hold sell there's uh i actually have like high level 2021 projections so i can communicate where i think each player is going to finish this year so if you're a win now team you know that you need to go get this guy and if i'm saying buy him and he's you know 23 years old it doesn't mean he's going to produce this year necessarily at the level that maybe you think i'm in that I'm, you know, insinuating by saying he's a buy, it might be a buy because he's probably going to produce in two years, like with T Higgins, for example, last year. So I have like 2021, what's their ceiling? What's their expected? What's their floor? <laughs> and like, it's, it's quite a process. <laughs> from a, from a managing your own team perspective for a dynasty roster, do you think ADP is important? Not drafting, you know, ma actually managing your own rookie draft, 
in those settings. But do you think worrying about like, so you mentioned Michael Thomas, the fact that, I mean, he's dropped a couple rounds, but if you're a team, do you care? He's sitting there. He's one of your top two or three wide receivers. Do you actually care that his ADP isn't first round? It's third round this year or whatever it is. No, I don't care if it's my guy. I care if it's somebody else's guy. You're trying to get that. Uh, you're trying to get that up, sweet though. discount, right? Yeah. I, like yeah. I think Michael Thomas is a great buy right now. Right. I think he has top five in his range of outcomes pretty easily again. Like I don't, I don't see a reason that he can't do that again. Uh, I, I care more about the, my guys that go up in value. Like I, I'm, I'm a big AJ Brown fan, huge AJ, AJ Brown fan have been since he was a prospect, but now he's like in the conversation for wide receiver one overall. And I'm like, Whoa, Whoa. Like that's, yeah. that's out of my wheelhouse. That's way too far. So AJ Brown is one of your examples. Do you have anybody else that it's like, well, I like the guy, but uh, I didn't imagine it getting this uh, smoking hot. You're almost like a this is exploratory. You might be able to get someone to back up the Brinks truck and give you a, a quasi fortune. Is there, is there another AJ Brown like player where you're like, I like him, but this got way too intense for me. Jonathan Taylor, man. Like I love Jonathan. He's bulletproof. He's one of the, like, okay. he, he's like, uh, he'd probably be about the 10th best prospect in my database for running Dare we backs. say generational. No, I'm just kidding. Which is very not generational. Like he's not even in the top five, but he's really good. He's really, he's top 5%. Top 5%. Top 5, sure, top yeah. even 2 or 3%. Like, I go back to 1999, yeah. and he's de- he's like a 98% score, which, yeah. again, is excellent. Excellent. Pretty much no holes across the board, but he's not 100 per- He's not, you know, not one Saquon of the top Barkley. 3 or 4 guys. Yeah, exactly. Like, he doesn't fit that elite strata where you're literally talking about a, 2 or 3 guys over 20 years. Yeah. And that still isn't general. Well, I guess it's generational in the sense that you're discussing him in that fashion. So, I guess. I, I guess. I guess. But yeah, so, like Jonathan so you Taylor's a guy that I love, but I, I just yeah. I've never So now so now it's too hot. So what Pardon do you me? think what do you think is the so you think it's too hot with Jonathan Taylor right now? I don't think it's as bad right now cuz he's actually done something in the NFL now like he Oh, you mean Okay. Well, maybe a lot of people took Edward Tiller over him. Oh, that was insane. May. That was that was foolish. Well, you say it's insane. I mean, I had the people saying, "Oh, he went, he went. Edward Tiller went first round, and Taylor went second round." And it's like, but but it's interesting. So people will use Edward Tiller, and they'll be like, "Oh, well, he he went in the first round, the last pick." <laughs> this is really contested. One one team had to pass, and all of a sudden he's a day two guy. Yeah. And the same thing with T Higgins. Everyone wanted to be like, he's a first round talent. Well, he went in the second round. Yeah, it's by one pick, and you can still really like him, but he doesn't have the fifth-year option. There are there are some things that are functionally different. I just find it interesting that people use that as a defense, and then sometimes they use it as a, a specific reason, depending on if they like the player. That's the mental gymnastics that goes along with it. Yeah, well, that's also like, oh, Darius Geis is a is a first-round talent. He went like 50-something. Like, let's slow, let's slow down. He almost went round three. Yeah, and he like he was like what the eighth running back taken that year. Like, it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so cam makers was your one Oh one. And I got to tell you, so I loved cam makers, maybe not as much as you. So this is going to be a, a room where, you know, I I'm only 90% to where you are. I loved cam makers coming out. I thought he was underrated and we started to see late in the year, but boy, talk about the twists and turns to get to the end of the year when we actually saw feature <laughs> role. And I still, I keep looking, looking at my watch. Where are the screen passes? Where are the receptions? And I hope that comes. I hope we're not talking about him like uh, Joshua Jacobs, right? Of like, I thought he was going to catch 60 passes. When is this going to start happening? But uh, but he really didn't have the aggregate season that a lot were expecting. I mean, there were points in the year where 
I, I think people were people were questioning me. I'm sure you got the same sort of treatment where it's like you said to draft Cam Akers, the guy can't even like start or get more than 10 carries, and you've got Malcolm Brown playing over him, and now he's hurt. Like <laughs> the sky is falling, Henny Penny, talk us off this ledge. But now it's like they look if you are high on Akers, it's like you're a genius. Thank you so much. <laughs> so it's actually really funny. The the week before he had his like final break or his first breakout game against I think it was the Patriots or something like that. Somebody was like one of the patrons was in their discord was like, dude, like Daryl Henderson's better. And I'm like, oh man, like he's not better. And I like went on a rampage about how different they are and how much better Cam Akers is and has been this season and showed it like laid it all out and it got a little bit heated. And, uh, and then like that Thursday, it was like on Monday and then they played the Thursday night game if I recall and he just exploded and everyone was like, oh my God, I'm so happy I kept Cam Akers. And I'm like, oh, vindication. Yes, finally, finally. Didn't it seem like 2020 and we've been moving this direction, but doesn't it seem like, I joke that it was DFS, which is dynasty fantasy sports, where it's like they're moving at such a fast pace where like we had six different rookies that were wide receiver one overall in dynasty <laughs> over like an eight week span. Um, we had right. Cam Akers is horrible and a bust to now he's one of the hottest things in the off season. So I'm imagining Cam Akers is not one of those guys that you say, you know, now it's getting to the point of there's not much upside beyond. I mean, he's more affordable than Jonathan Taylor, obviously, but that you were already super high on him. And now this is just sort of coming around to what you thought the track he could be on entering 2021. So I imagine he's not one that you're, you're thinking of running away from. He was 21 now 22. There's a lot of building block aspects to be really excited about the next three to four year run considering his profile and kind of what we saw late. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that uh, Cam Akers is pretty much a lock for an RB1 season. Uh, it wouldn't shock me at all if he if he was in the upper echelon, like in a top five kind of position. I doubt he's going to catch like Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley or guys like that. But he he can be like an Ezekiel Elliott. I, like I think that's well within range uh, just in terms of like, well, I think he's a very talented running back as well. But I think, I think he's going to be locked into a ton of volume. Like they, they kind of showed down the stretch what they wanted to do with him. And a lot of people... I've had in my mentions telling me that, oh, that's just because Daryl Henderson got hurt. But if you look at like the actual like game logs and like the injury reports, there was a game where Henderson was a hundred percent full go. Acres was on the injury log and Acres out touched him like 28 to two. And it's like, that is not the case. Like Acres took the job. It's over. It's completely over. I don't think Acres is going to have quite the, uh, quite the opportunity share that he had down the stretch, but I think he's, he's certainly going to have a top, you know, top 12 opportunity share at the very worst. I don't know that the receiving is going to be there. I hope that it is. I think he's capable of it, but they sure didn't pass to him last year. So there, there's certainly a hesitation on that front. But yet he was pretty good. I mean, he caught the ball really well away from his body with screens. You know, he obviously reads well. One thing that, and again, we're, this, we're, this is a metric <laughs> metric show, but one thing film-wise, and it's really tough to uh, to actually measure this, but I really felt like his burst from, getting the ball to getting through the line of scrimmage is faster than a lot of backs. And I know he tested well, like athleticism is not really a question with cam makers, but some backs that test well, you feel like they're pretty slow, like to actually get through a hole. And it sometimes it feels like the hole is closing, especially at the linebacker level by the time they get there. And with cam makers, it feels like he's actually above average 
for a prototypically sized guy that he actually gets through and is that a decisiveness thing, but he also has good burst. It feels like a combination of a lot of those factors. I know Christian McCaffrey after his rookie year was the same way. Like he started getting through holes a lot faster. And I hope with Cam Akers, it was just getting comfortable. And he, he wasn't doing that week one. I remember I did a, a film breakdown of his, all of his carries for all of these rookies in their first game. And the difference between Akers then and late in the year was pronounced, but I really think it's that burst factor and it's getting from seven yards behind the line of scrimmage all the way through and then three, four yards into the defense that amount of time. And again, I'm not going to take my time with a stopwatch and do every carry of every running back <laughs> to kind of prove this out, but it seems like that burst is, is above average. Uh, I have no comments on that. I, <laughs> I don't do any film study. So if you think he's fast going through the line, I like it. <laughs> I'm on board. I'll I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, I actually wanted to ask you, you brought up Ezekiel Elliott and one of the, I had two dynasty trades I wanted to kind of go over and one of them involved Cam Akers because I knew you were high on him. So I kind of wanted to test what your allegiance is here. So if, if you have different, you know, well, it depends on what type of team you are or, or other factors and that affects your decision. Let me know, but it's a stock, uh, 12 team PPR league. We've got Ezekiel Elliott, uh, so give your thoughts on Zeke. This will be a, a good time to mention that. So we've got Ezekiel Elliott and Juju Smith-Schuster for the aforementioned Cam Akers. The two of them for Cam Akers? Yes. Oh, I'd, I'd probably take the Ezekiel Elliott side on that one. Okay. And, and you are and probably I, the highest on Cam Akers out there. Yeah, I yeah, probably, probably am. Probably. So the fact that you're taking the other side, I just wanted to point out that Ezekiel Elliott is, to me, one of the biggest buy lows right now. Yeah, oh, he's just being I punished. And people think he's done, completely yeah, done. But he had the worst year of his career, and Dak Prescott wasn't there for more than half the year. Um, but what are your kind of expectations? And I think Juju Smith-Schuster is also an interesting dynasty asset right now. Yeah, like honestly, with Ezekiel Elliott, he, people think he's like 29 years old, and he's 25. Like he is, uh, he's virtually the same age as Nick Chubb, and nobody is concerned about Nick Chubb's age. And I, it's the mileage thing, I guess. But uh, he's been around for seen, a while. I, th I think it's just that he's he was such a big name in in college. He came out at 21 years old. I mean, it just seems like he's been around for a while. And he's also been on one of the most decorated, not decorated, one of the most well known teams in the NFL as well. That's true. But yeah, no, like I, I think Ezekiel Elliott, you can pencil him in for a couple more RB one seasons at this point. I think I think he's that type of player. Like he's to me, he's not like a. Um, He's not like a super athleticism marvel. Like he's a workhorse. He's a workhorse. Yeah. Like he does. Yeah. Could he have thirty-yard touchdown runs? Yes. Is he going to have an eighty-yard touchdown run? I mean, maybe at when he first came into the NFL, but not anymore. But that's not really his game. What is his game? Near the end zone, he's getting the carries and he's getting in there, right? I mean, he's yeah. he's one of the better the better bets for ten plus, twelve plus touchdowns. Yeah, and he and he's capable in the passing game. Like they, I think he had seventy receptions or something one year. Did he? Didn't he? I didn't. I didn't save it, but there was a there was a tweet that that basically said that Tony Pollard was going to be a top twelve running back this coming year, and that had nothing <laughs> to do with Ezekiel Elliott being hurt. Interesting. I'm like, how is that possible? There are people that think Tony Pollard is straight up a better running back than Ezekiel Elliott, and he's going to come take his job. I feel like that happens so frequently in uh, the dynasty community where it's like this like fetish with the backup running back. And like, I I've never taken the time to like prove it out, but I, I love backup running backs, but not in the prism of they're coming to take the starter's job. I love it when the, when there's an injury, don't root for them, but all of a sudden, boom, you got an auto start player. I like that part. I don't think they're taking their job. Yeah. No, it's like, 
you see Ezekiel Elliott, like you see the backup running back and they have like a higher yards per carry. And it's like, yeah, but what's the context around that? Like, like is uh, that they're getting, draw, they're getting draws losses? on give up carries at the end of the second quarter with the team at the 15 yard line that he goes for 12 yards because they were playing prevent or late in the game and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, no one, JD McKissick, why, why does he look good running the ball? Cause no one expects him to. <laughs> yeah. Like, they don't care if he's running the ball. Exactly. Like, they him want the him to, please don't run routes. Please don't go out there. We'll give you seven yards. We don't, <laughs> yeah. want, you, we don't want you to gut us for 15 as a receiver. So that's what we're playing. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people, Michael Thomas is a great example running back wise, but I feel like Zeke is almost the version of that where it's like, how are you ignoring three, four, five years of what they did for one down year where you can actually explain away a lot of it? I mean, it, Michael Thomas last year felt like Remember the Devonte Adams year where everyone expected him to break out? He played through an ankle injury, and it's like Michael Thomas missed a bunch of time. Did he look himself for a, a good chunk of the games he played? And it's like so people want to just crush you. Like there's a difference between playing hurt and missing time being hurt versus you can't play. And I think there's a big like the guys that play and they they disprove their talent or disprove that they can actually stick and accumulate a lot of touches and warrant a lot of touches. That's completely different than. You, you've been doing it for a number of years and you had a down year. Very few players. I mean, what Marshall Falk pretty much didn't have a down year for like a decade. Very few players. <laughs> Randy Moss, right? He had three, four giant down years. And yet, you know, I, I can't imagine dynasty wise what was happening to his value then, you know, just all <laughs> over the place. I mean, he goes to the Raiders, you know, or whatever. Um, but, but yeah, I think Zeke is one of those players that I think you're going to be sorry. When you said two more running back one years, I don't think people realize how few players at running back you should really have that projection or confidence that they could do that because age is not really a giant component to that. Plenty of guys are going to lose their jobs, you know, or just put up one dud and all of a sudden they're getting replaced. Yeah, for sure. Like he's, I, like, I can't see a world in which he isn't a locked in starting running back two years from now. And if he's a locked in starting running back, I can't see a world they're not feeding him. Like he's, it, he's on a hall of fame. He's on a, a story for the last like 20 years. He's on a historic track, you know, yeah. with what he's done, especially for four years. And now, you know, a fifth year that was still fine. It was still like mid running back two, you know, in, in points per game. And yeah, he puts two, three, four more. He's more likely to do that than a number of players that you kind of have aspirations. Like, you know, I hope like cam Akers, for example, like, I think the betting chance is on, you know, who has more top six seasons left. Zeke probably has a better chance, even though he has less years remaining. Why? Because he's done it. <laughs> he's done it many times. So yeah, just to have just to have one point there. Um, give me a couple data points on Gabriel Davis because I thought your you had a, a very good take that he's at an interesting, it, dare I say, crossroads point, right? Because it's one year in, but yet there's a lot of strong reaction for a day three wide receiver and projecting big upside. When the more you dig into it, the more it doesn't feel like it's as likely as maybe some are valuing. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but uh, I, I was a big Terry McLaurin hater uh, coming into 2020. Oh, not just, like, not just, I'm not a fan. You actually hated him. Well, I shouldn't say I hated him. I just, I didn't, he was cheap, I didn't think at least. he was worth his price. <laughs> and it was clearly because his profile, his college profile was like among the worst we've ever seen. And then he got to the Washington football team and he played with a bunch of guys that are like not even div one quality players. Like they're, they're just not good wide receivers. It was Paul Richardson. I, yeah. I, I dove into that like a while back. It's like, do you know who he's competing against? It was like nobody. 
Yeah, so it was like he, beat he, he had less target competition on the Washington football team than he had at Ohio State. So when when he like breaks out at Washington, I'm like, well, I mean, let's pump the brakes a bit. Like, yeah, he he did well, but he did, like, I don't know. I'm I'm not convinced yet. Give give me more. Well, let's see what happens. Again, eventually Washington, there's talk this offseason, right? That they're going to bring in the guy. They tried to get Amari Cooper last offseason. Yeah. Or the offseason before. And yeah, I, I think it's ripe for him to be one of those speed-based number twos. And he's he's kind of a de facto number one for now. And frankly, they didn't know what they had in Logan Thomas either. They really didn't have a tight end plan when he came and was drafted either. So he really hasn't had, like you said, much competition to to say, oh yeah, you're one of those top. And some people think, you know, he's a top 10 dynasty wide receiver. And every time I see that, I'm like, wow, let's uh let's slow down just a little bit. So I, I should finish my thought before you dive into hating on Terry. What I actually found out was that his rookie season was so incredibly good based on these metrics that seem to have strong correlation that it completely erases his prospect profile. I can take off day three, like I can take off draft capital filters where I'm comparing them to guys drafted in rounds four, five, six, seven, or undrafted that went on to be stars. And he's with those guys. Like, like once you start uh, plotting these things, so the things that I'm looking at are like points per game, which I mean, yeah, he was, he was okay at points per game. I forget what he had specifically, but 13 to 15 somewhere. And that was a good season, but then his PFF grade, which is something I've always kind of laughed off because I never really thought they mattered, but I, I plotted them all every rookie year dating back to, whenever PFF started 2005 or something like that. And then I looked at the correlation of rookie year PFF and it's really strong. And I was kind of like, wow, maybe they're onto something with this PFF grade thing. So then I, I developed this like sophomore comp thing where I looked at their prospect grade. I looked at their points per game. I looked at their PFF grade. And then I do a thing called ADP trends, which is just kind of uh, a wisdom of the crowds thing. So if the if dynasty players are not impressed, they're probably not going to be good players. That's just kind of what it comes down to. So guys that lose value after their first year. So when I when I did this for Terry McLaurin, it pulled up just like everyone who's good. It was like Stefan Diggs and Marcus Colston and like uh, Antonio Brown and like all these guys that went on to start him. And I was like, oh man, like I I totally missed on Terry McLaurin last year. I, I should have been bullish and I I was swatting his uh his production and his profile away like get out of here this guy's nothing but really it was so good that he erased everything so when i did this with gabriel davis it's like he did not have a good season he had an okay season as a day three pick and i I mean like people are in my mentions about oh yeah but he he was 21 year old and he was uh uh early or um early breakout age and he was productive and all these other things. And I'm like, yeah, but on day three, it doesn't matter. Like at that point, none of that stuff really matters. Like you were talking about like a hit rate difference of like 5% between the terrible day three prospects and the really good day three prospects. Like it doesn't matter at that point. Like don't waste your time. Right. Yeah. So well, then, let's focus on more important things like who to draft at one-on-one. Yeah. So then you, when I do this with Gabriel Davis, it pulls up all these guys that had the same seasons, like the same PFF grades, the same points per game, the same like day three capital. And it's just a whole bunch of guys that never did anything. Like actually never did anything. Like zero guys hit except for Julian Edelman, who didn't even play wide receiver in college. Like a figment of the Patriots imagination of what they could get out of Julian Edelman. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, there isn't a successful comp. There's nobody that has walked the same path as Gabriel Davis that has actually done anything. 
So that's kind of my thing. Yeah. Well, and if you look at it, I think wide receivers, you have to be very careful, right? I mean, you have a finite number of, of dynasty roster spots. And so when you just start going down the rabbit hole of this deeper wide receiver is interesting, this deeper wide receiver. And I will say when, like in a startup draft in the double digit rounds around 25, there's wide receivers. And I would say the name cachet of them and the idea of them is more interesting but really it's every other position that you should be gravitating towards. And I know that it's not as sexy, but Gabriel Davis is the exact type of guy that sucks you in. And the the question I always have is, well, how long you got to hold him? Because at (laughs) wide receiver, okay, there's a small subset that are number one guys, the offense funnels through them and you don't have much question, but the only number two wide receivers that really matter for like big upside or that magical year or whatever is with the elite quarterbacks. So be open to that. I mean, do you think, again, this is not my take, but if you think that Nicole Hardman can be the absolute go away number two wide receiver with Kansas City, or if it's someone else, I know Sammy Watkins, you know, we're on board because if there could be someone that's highly viable from a non Tyreek Hill spot, but that's the sort of air. Now, Josh Allen is really good. So could the number two wide receiver be in that, that air? Possibly. But Stefan Diggs is there and locked in. So unless Diggs is out and, you know, John Brown could be gone, for example, but, but yeah, you're really pinning your hopes on something happening to Diggs because you're going to have a tempered ceiling most likely. I mean, every once in a while you get those offenses, right? That two top, I think Dallas years ago, it, it was uh miles, uh, miles, Austin, Des Bryant and someone was it? Uh, oh, Roy Williams, maybe I, I can't yeah, Roy Williams. It, yeah. yeah. Okay. It was, it was a deep pull there that, uh, there was, uh, <laughs> But, but yeah, there was a year where three guys were in the top 20 or 25. It takes the perfect storm, pretty much. But you're trying to sharpshoot something that historically doesn't happen even every year. You know, of getting that number two guy, oh, he's number, you know, wide receiver 18, wide receiver 20. Could it happen in Buffalo? I, I guess so. But like you said, you're going on day three. You're not even taking the elite day three Stefan Diggs type profile. You're not even yeah. getting that. So to take Gabriel Davis in the fourth round, and the problem I have now, I looked like it seems like his valuation is like a mid second or higher. Yeah. Like you have built in profit. Just, just, just throw that thing, like shop him around your league, you know, get a, I mean, this is absolute worst case. I don't think you have to go this low, but get yourself like a third to second upgrade and move on with your life. You might get yeah. a day two running back. You're going to get like a round two wide receiver. If you so choose, you might get a round one quarterback. You might, there's a lot of things that you could get that, I mean, Gabriel Davis, again, you're, you're voting on ancillary wide receiver X in the NFL. And you're also assuming that the bills wouldn't draft someone else with more pedigree or, or sign somebody. And we still know Stefan Diggs is the guy. So you still have that built in ceiling. I, I don't know. He's an interesting one, but the big part is price, right? I mean, if he, if right now he did what he did and it's like, well, the best I can get is 308 for him. Yeah, I would say hold. Let's see what oh, happens sure. here. Roll the dice. But if you can get 206, 202, go from 204 to 109 with a with a uh, a trade, that is all really really intriguing. It seems they're all very accessible. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's it always comes down to price and where he's valued in this mid second round or even late second round. Like, there's a ton of guys I'd prefer to him in this class in that range, like a ton. Well, and also I think that's just smart historical cashing out, right? I mean, yeah. I, I found something deep and the odds that they come, it's not that he turned in a, a top 12 out of nowhere season, right? It just came out of the ether. He had a flash induced some highlights, you know, on a team as a number two, number three wide receiver 
or number four, right? Cole Beasley was yeah. was there too. So it, it was it was really nice and promising, but frankly, probably more NFL value than than longstanding dynasty. You're gonna look back in 12 months and be like, I could have got what pick for him? And you're gonna you're how many times did I start him this next year? To, once as my flex? Yeah. So I just um let me ask you this in terms of it, it sounds like we are of like mind in that you kind of evaluate your process. You're always trying to, how can I get better at this? How can I get better at getting more players right earlier and quicker um, and more accurate? Um, what has been one of the advancements? I think you mentioned it about some of your your monikers that you attach to players, but let's say over the last, you know, say 12 months. What has been one or two things that have unlocked sort of a new way of thinking, even if it's just refining something you were already doing? <laughs> honestly, like using PFF grades is something I, I honestly laughed at. I, I didn't think it was worthwhile at all. And then I started plugging them in and I was like, wow, like actually these, these have strong correlations. You can spot players that have strong PFF grades that do not have strong production. Like a uh, Chris Godwin as a rookie, he had a really, really strong PFF grade but he didn't really do anything as a rookie. So like that kind of thing. And then uh, one thing that actually, like I just updated this weekend, uh, there's a guy on Twitter, uh, Cooper underscore DFF, talking about like alpha profile uh, wide receivers versus beta profile wide receivers. I overlaid that on all my prospects dating back to 2003. And when you split the alphas and the betas in my tiers, it's like, it's night and day and it makes so much sense. It's all the little guys that score really well in my process. They don't come anywhere near the ceiling of the big guys. And it's, it's kind of been a revolution. I actually just kind of redid my, my, um, my rookie tiers. Cause I used to think that I, I liked, you know, I have coin flip running backs, right? Like guys that are 50% or historically 50% have hit a running back one season, a top 12 season. I used to think I liked those guys better than a lot of the wide receivers. But once I started like separating the wide receivers and only looking at the alphas, I was like, wow, like actually I really like the alpha wide receivers a lot more than I like the coin flip running backs. So now my rankings shift and I have, you know, Rashad Bateman who profiles as an alpha ahead of all these coin flip running backs, like a, uh, like a uh, Travis Etienne. So that, that was a big adjustment for me. Cause I've always been kind of like team running back guy. Cause you know, running backs hit harder. They, they impact wins more hit earlier. You know, typically they, they crush it the first year or two compared to wide receivers. Right. Yeah. But when you, when I put up, put up both lists, I like, I even asked the patrons, like, which guys do you get, which, which ones do you prefer? Who do you want? If you had to pick one entire set versus one entire set, knowing what we know now, if you could have drafted them as rookies, which one would you prefer? And it was like unanimously the alpha wide receivers. I was like, yeah, me too. This is amazing. Like I, I have chills. I can't believe that I didn't realize that I preferred these wide receivers, this type of wide receiver. So if I go to back to last year's class, 2020, when I'm constantly looking for ways to improve, I had Clyde Edwards Hilaire ahead of Justin Jefferson and T Higgins. Those guys were alphas. They were bulletproof. They should have been ahead of Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And I did not do it that way. And I, I regret everything. <laughs> I regret everything. You're like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing on this planet. Um, all right. Uh, one more thing. We really haven't talked about 2021 rookies, uh, much at all. Uh, give us a little taste. Uh, this is always like a softball, you know, for, for dynasty folks going on, on other shows, which is open platform. Is there a player or two 
could be one of each, could be just one, uh, but but give a few bullet points on some one of the players at the skill positions that you're higher or lower than consensus on. And it's early in the process. You know, we're still yet to see workouts. Who knows what iteration of the workouts we will see if we'll even see videos. You would love if we got if we got embedded YouTube videos or or uh, on Twitter and, and sites and that that you're able to actually see it for yourself. I have my fingers crossed, but I also have my doubts that this month will be as much, if not more frustration than, ah, we finally have it even without the NFL combine, but it's early. We still got some time to go. Um, but what's one to two players that, uh, again, you're kind of divergent from the market for this class. Uh, I would say at the, well, I, I don't like the running backs. Like <laughs> that is, that is probably the biggest thing that I'm most divergent from, from everyone else. I don't have Najee Harris anywhere near my one one I don't have Travis Etienne anywhere near it. Like those guys are avoids to me in, in, well, I don't have them here in Superflex. Um, they like they profile okay. They don't profile great. Like I would have each of them equivalent with Clyde Edwards Hilaire last year. And I didn't love Clyde Edwards Hilaire last year. So the, the guy that I think I'm probably the highest on compared to consensus would be um, probably Rashad Bateman. Like I, I don't know if I keep seeing him like, being drafted in the second round of NFL drafts. And I, I don't think that's accurate. Like I, I think he should be drafted in the middle of the first round of the NFL draft. Like he's easily my wide receiver too. He's, he's my wide receiver too in a class of his own. And I don't think that's consensus right now. And I think, I think it should be. <laughs> and then the. So wide receiver two to who? Jamar Chase. Okay. I love how you said it. So matter of factly, like why would it not be? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, well, and obviously, you know, Rashad Bateman was some of the, the sparkle of the past few days that, you know, he ran four, three, nine, four, three, seven, whatever it was over there at Exos. I mean, that's not going to help. I, I was also, and am a big Rashad Bateman fan of being like, wow, why is he kind of consensus, you know, wide receiver four, five, six off the NFL draft board. And like you said, possibly slipping, I will say he's kind of coming up. Um, there's a site, um, I'm going to have, uh, Benjamin on who runs grinding the mocks and he's actually up Rashad Bateman's around 30 overall, you know, in, oh, that, in the, yeah. So, so we're seeing some promise there, which is wide receiver four. So, and I'm sure this, this, you know, workout is going to get the perception of him being a riser, you know, kind of up. Um, but I don't know. It seems like Smith chase and Waddle are, are sort of in that top 12 or so. And that's gonna be tough for any wide receiver at this point, probably to crack by, by NFL draft time. But, uh, but yeah, Bateman is a big one for me where I think, I think at wide receiver, I don't know how you feel about this, but a lot of people overrate, uh, you know, like ath just athleticism in general. I think there's sort of a baseline of if you're good enough and if you are highly productive, you probably have, I always say that's sort of a film. If you had a film proxy on a piece of paper with, with scores and, and numbers, it would be production, right? Because if a guy is mm -hmm. not very athletic or you have some sort of, you know, you ran a four, six, well, you know, Keenan Allen, right? He was highly productive and yet he wasn't viewed as very athletic coming into, well, it means he probably runs a good route. <laughs> he yeah. knows how to separate. He knows how to get open and win, quote unquote win, uh, because he's so productive. Like you don't do that, but you know, I mean, there's probably an end point. If you run a four, eight, oh, like you probably can't be that productive just because you are that slow. So, but, um, but yeah, I think people overrate athleticism, uh, at the wide receiver position, which is, Unfortunately, people get enamored and, you know, the, the Chase Claypools of the world just get people, you know, so excited. Uh, I was oh, definitely yeah. one of them years ago. Um, do, uh, oh, one last thing. So do you have a weak spot? Like, do you have a, an, you can't really, 
I'm not going to say quantify it, but you can't really justify it. But whether it's a, a team, a position, uh, certain types of players, certain types of profiles that you know, logically, it doesn't make sense for you to either gravitate more towards this or away from this as you than you should. But is there something like that where you like, I know it's a blind spot, but when I run my own teams, when I do my own drafts, it still is something I have to fight regularly. I think it's it's funny for me to say this because I'm, I'm on the record quite heavily about um, Kyle Pitts being not worth his ADP this year, but I'm a tight end guy. Like I... I have Evan Ingram. I have David Njoku. I have OJ Howard. I have Noah Fant. I have TJ Hawkins. Like you I have, collect them. You love them. I collect them. <laughs> and I probably draft them way more than I need to, but I keep drafting them because like they have this like super appealing ceiling. Yeah. And if they just had a top three season, it'd be magical, right? Right. You named all the like, guys that pretty much haven't. So you're hoping and praying, but, but you just can't help yourself. But, but where I'm drafting them isn't where Kyle Pitts was being drafted. I guess that's where like the distinction comes for me. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I got them in like the, you know, early second round in tight end premium leagues. Like it's, it's not like I'm taking them at 106. It's not like I'm taking them instead of Rashad Bateman. You know, it, it's, uh, it's funny for me to say that tight end is probably my like weakness, but like, do you, do you play in, in two tight end leagues? I play in one of them, two of them. I will, I will say I have, a, I have for some reason, like I really want to do like two tight end stashes. Like and do that as like a separate show every week. Like we do, we do running back roundup where we talk about every depth chart in the NFL and we kind of get geeky about the backups and clarity of, of that, that primary handcuff and all that type of stuff. And I, I really love d- deeper tight ends. I have like just, it's so tough for me because I know very few people play in that format and even less care. <laughs> so there's plenty of people <laughs> that play two nine tight end where it's like, Oh, it's distractions for people like Chad. It's not like, I don't actually like playing that format, but I know it's a way to, you know, carve more value out uh, of the, the player value pie because I'm not going to over overrate it, let's say, but I just love those backup tight ends and the guys that comp- like Adam Shaheen is still like one of my guys. I hold out hope for him, <laughs> you know, and, and I know you think Mike Gesicki overrated as well, but I just keep holding out hope that man, how great would it be? Adam Shaheen brought back by Miami. What if he's the starter at some point, boy, wouldn't that be like, lux- <laughs> you know, just like these storylines to me are like so interesting personally. Um, but, but yeah, like I know factually, they don't have a ton of importance in 90 something percent of dynasty leagues. Oh, absolutely. No, I played a couple t- uh, two tight end leagues and I love them. Like I think that they're way more fun than regular, uh, like normal tight end premium leagues. It, it brings in like all these guys that you, you just never care about otherwise injury away guys, right? Like all of a yeah. sudden you, they matter, you care. And, <laughs> and yeah, you know, it's interesting how you approach the Kyle Pitts thing. Cause you almost were like, I know no one ever says this and you're not really allowed because Kyle Pitts is so great and generational, but, but you know, that I, I just wouldn't come near where, you know, where he's valued and where he's priced. I mean, you might have to take him. Is it weird to say one Oh one, one Oh two of a two tight end league with like premium scoring. I mean, that sounds like it may happen. I, th- I think that like, I, I, I do tight end uh, two tight end rankings. I actually have them at, at 103 in those because I think the tight ends are super, super valuable. They're most valuable position in those types of leagues. Right. Because it's been so, super flex and two tight end. I mean, it drops off so quickly. If you have two strong tight ends, I mean, you have such a huge... Because that's yeah. the thing. You're, you're going to have to some of these teams that are starting like tight end 20 and tight end 36 <laughs> during a year and you're going to boat race them by like 15 points a week. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. So in, in those leagues, sure, they take Kyle Pitts early, absolutely. But in like a normal tight end premium, like a 1.5 points per reception type uh, premium league, I'm I'm way out on Kyle yeah, Pitts. Yeah, it's weird. It's, it's weird. I think people underrate tight end and two tight end, and then they overrate it with 1.5 scoring or even 2.0 scoring. I don't think people realize that you're still not moving the baseline. You're bringing a few more guys, like a very small cross section as maybe flex options. If yeah. you really have a strong guy, but you're not lowering the baseline. Like it doesn't really, they're like, oh, we wanted to make the tight end position important. So we made it 1.75 PPR. You're genius. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. Sorry. Um, all right. Uh, final thoughts. Uh, this could be anything that we haven't covered. If there's a special platform of a certain type of player, um, a strategy point that you want to drill into folks' heads, or maybe even something you said 30 minutes ago and you want to double up and say, I want to make sure that you take this away from this show. Uh, the platform is yours. Sounds good. So my like the biggest thing that I probably just try to drive home like every single year, it seems like, is to just cut bait on these rookie face planners. If a, if a rookie comes into the NFL and he does not impress in his first year for any reason, just let him go. It's over. Like it, it's, it's so over. Now, it what is. You, now, what do you consider? Can you give me an example of someone that had some cachet, maybe a top one or two round rookie pick from last year that fits this moniker of even maybe someone you believed in where you're like, I've got to pull back because that's the case here. Yeah. So uh, the, the best example of this is in Keel Harry in 2019. He was my wide receiver one. He was my, I think he might have even been my 101 in one quarterback leagues. Would have been my 102 in Superflex leagues. I was all in on Nikhil Harry. He completely face planted as a rookie. I immediately flipped into a cell and started banging the drum that you need to go and sell Nikhil Harry. My, my like pride and joy of the rookie season last year. You need to go sell him. Like it's over. Get rid of him. And I got a lot of pushback from analytics folks. You mean like, a, like that you're a flip flopper? Yeah, they're like, oh, like you, you better be right now. You're right, you're, you're wrong last year. What if you're wrong again? It's like, well, I mean, I'm just playing the odds, man. Like he had a good profile. Now his profile is not good. So move well, on. When you finish, he probably finished what 140 or something. He barely made the top 150 in points <laughs> per game that year. And it's like, yeah, the odds dwindle. You know, from that point, you can still go and say, here's what their profile is, but you're adjusting it. You know, to a, to a strong degree with what they do year one and year two. You got to react to it because it's happening. Yeah, so like, Akil Harry is a great example. Last year, this year, uh, like I'm sorry to say, but Jalen Rieger is going directly down that path, and I think that he, I think he, he was a better rookie than Akil Harry by by you know pretty much every measure, but he, he just he's he's disappointed. So there's everyone. no excuse. There's no excuse with kind of. The- do you consider it kind of extenuating circumstances with the Eagles? Or do you basically say, Hey, how he did is how he did. And regardless of who's playing quarterback, the offensive line, whatever, you know, basically it's historically a not good indicator and you're probably better off trying to exit stage. Right. As even if you end up being wrong, like yeah, you're so, going to be on the right side more. It's all about paying probabilities is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Like I could be wrong. Of course. Like, like he could rebound. There's like four, uh, so like back to 2007, I have Dynasty Startup ADP. And when I look at the guys that lost value from the first round of Dynasty rookie drafts uh, after their first year, so like the first round face, fl- uh, face planners, it's like Demarius Thomas, um, Tyler Boyd, Golden Tate. And I, there's a fourth one that I can't remember that recovered. Oh, Nelson Aguilar. Uh, oh, those are the four guys that hit in, in like 
13 years now. So like it's super rare. And then of those guys that hit like Tyler Boyd is like, yeah, he's like a nice player for sure. Like you get a nice wide receiver two season out of him here and there. Golden Tate was the same type of player. Demarius Thomas should have never fallen, but the reason that he fell, I found out like this Achilles. year. Yeah. Achilles tended. I had no idea he tore his Achilles. I, yeah. I, I got him in like round 20, like back then it was like, yeah, after the Achilles, he fell to like round 20 of startup drafts uh, <laughs> because well, again, the climate of medical back then. Right. I mean, it was considered the Achilles was one of those skill position killers outside of it maybe quarterback. Death sentence. Yeah. So yeah, like when you look at these players, they, they just never recover. So it's like, well, why would you keep betting on this? Like, when I, when I realized this is when I was, I, I was rostering like the 2016 class. I had like Laquan Treadwell and I had Corey Coleman and I had Josh Doxson and I had all these guys and playing the hits. <laughs> they're just like stacking up on my roster, buying low everywhere. And then suddenly I was like, does this ever work? Like, has this ever worked? Yeah. And then I, I, again, I started plotting the ADP back to 2007 and I was like, this never works. People got to stop doing this. All right, hit it home. Uh, so where can folks find you? I mentioned at the top of the show, but uh, but personalize it here uh, for where they can find your content after this episode is complete for them. Sounds good. So I'm on uh, Twitter at DFBeanCounter. And then I got a Patreon a- account that is patreon.com backslash bulletproofff. And, um, you know, on there we do super flex, super flex and two tight end rankings for the rookies, one QB rankings for the rookies. We got tiers and positional rankings and buy hold sell like all of the works basically anything you could ever ask for in rankings uh for dynasty i got debbie rankings whatever you want basically um and then you can also find me i just started a podcast three weeks ago and it's the bulletproof fantasy football podcast we are in our infancy and i'm still working on this whole podcasting thing so hopefully it's going to get better as we go (laughs) And yep. then uh, the YouTube channel, which is also Bulletproof Fantasy Football. Uh, do you what? You have any uh, any players right in the crosshairs that you know are going to come up with a, a YouTube episode or feature? Yeah, Cam Akers is coming up next week. Uh, he's have a podcast on Thursday, and then he'll be on a YouTube video the following week. Excellent. Yeah, and all I can say from a podcaster to a, a new uh, a new one is get those reps. You know, the more times you press the cord, the better it gets. And you really can't substitute. And you're already used to doing solo shows. So you already have a head start there with a lot of your your video production. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I always, you know, people ask me for advice sometimes or, or thoughts or feedback. And it's like, until you get to 40, 50, 60 shows of press and record and getting at least comfortable, you still are sort of exploring the space, you know, like with Cowbell, you know, you're, you're just trying to figure out what you're doing. <laughs> so how can someone like grade you or say, oh, you should do this and not that because you're still kind of finding your voice, uh, you know, for, for dozens and dozens of shows. So that's, that's one of the main things. And I always say, hey, you, people want a big audience. You might want to wait till you feel more comfortable before you get that big audience because you might get one or two shows and then they'll move on, you know, where it's like, ah, this guy, like, I, you know, I like him when he writes an article, but man, he presses record and things get, things get dicey quick, <laughs> you know, or so you never know, you know, who's listening for the very first time. So the, com- the more, the comfort factor is, is a big key there. And I, I'm really, really glad, you know, that you're getting going and, uh, and starting a podcast as you mentioned. So, uh, so really look forward to seeing that development as you get those reps. Um, so this is the show for you as mentioned. Uh, there's a money back guarantee 
and you get a free trial of the Dynasty Trade Calculator over there uh, by signing up as a general manager plus subscriber. And as mentioned at the beginning, patreon.com slash UTH for us over here. We've got a feature show with Tim Torch on a weekly basis, voted on topic, as well as VIP sessions, a VIP chat, and a bunch of other bonuses as a patron over there. So Drew always here. I am Chad Parsons. And until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, keep building those dynasties.